Check, 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 one, two, three, and we are live. Welcome to the Dispatches from the Scandamaniac podcast. I am your host, as always, Captain Ryland Johnson. Before I get into today's episode, some housekeeping. So, in the last week, I have released three episodes, Simon, Sky, and Taylor. I recorded those all within the same week. Um, and then what happens when I release them all is that, you know, the the view counts kind of get, or the listener counts really get delayed as they go on because people don't want to listen to me talk for three hours in one week. They like to spread it out. So I would probably be better off if I just, like, release these once a week and then it would be more digestible and not so much. But also I kind of don't like holding on to them. I like to just throw them out there. So uh, I think to all my listeners, don't be afraid to, you know, if you feel like, oh, Ryland just keeps hammering these out. Well, I'm probably going to take a break, I was thinking, for the month of September. I just filled my Google calendar and basically every single evening and weekend I will be knocking doors for the politicking world. So uh, I don't know if I'll be doing many of these uh podcasts and i think they kind of have a different feel if it's you know the rylan johnson political show which is i don't want it to be as much because it's more about the guests and not myself so uh don't be afraid to go back and check out ones you haven't listened to and also uh don't be afraid if you're listening to one to kind of skip ahead if it's boring or i think you know sometimes the guests you don't think you want to listen to may be the most interesting and sometimes in an hour you know there might only be 20 minutes that is super on point but i i like that's why i keep this raw and edited kind of thing is it, it takes a while to get there sometimes in the conversation and have it flowing um lastly i appreciate very much everyone who listens to these and i uh would love some more comments or feedback uh on the last one i did with taylor syracuse my friend alex sent me a message and he's like you know i just really connected with the way you guys were discussing traveling and it was one of those episodes that i had i related to and he really liked that one and just getting one little comment like that you know really uh encourages me to keep going on this and makes me feel better about it all if you have criticism you're like i enjoyed a cu- ex- this episode and this episode and i didn't like that episode i'd also really value that uh if you were listening and then you stopped listening well i guess i well you wouldn't be listening to me saying this now but uh if you're one of those people potentially you listen to this one just tell me why i'd be curious i uh I'm always looking way for ways to kind of change the medium and change the episodes. I have lots of ideas, and I think I might be changing the format, but if a bunch of people tell me, no, I like the format. So the more comments and feedback, I really appreciate it. Sometimes I feel like I just put these out into the abyss, and it says that people are listening, but I don't know who, and I don't know what they think about it, and it just feels a little more uh, isolated. Anyways, that's enough of my rambling today. My guest today is uh, Jack Miltenberger. Jack, can you do me a favor and uh, ring us the ship's bell to get us started? Oh, yeah. Um, Jack, welcome aboard the Scandamaniac. So the the first question I usually always ask people is, uh, what do you think of the boat? Uh, I really like the front deck area here. It's a beautiful little sitting spot with a beautiful view. And it's got nice artwork. Yeah, I uh, recently just, uh, I'm going to get a new piece of artwork, which is the cover of Edge YK Magazine, which is me, or a silhouetted, presumably me, standing on the Scandamaniac as it's attacked by a sea monster, so I think that's the perfect piece for the boat. I saw that one, that was gorgeous, beautifully done. Yeah, yeah, I have a, that's Crystal, and she, there's another one in the boat of kind of a piece of a, the Precambrian shield coming to life and yeah. staring at a little fox on the ice, I like that little 
doodle as well. Or yeah. Piece of Same garbage. Here. Um, I Jack, so usually I just, I get people to give me their Yellowknife Bio 101 so that listeners listening kind of have some context before we just get into that. So uh, my, who are you is the bad question I always ask. <laughs> <laughs> and you can choose to answer that however you wish. Um, well, I technically only moved to Yellowknife four months ago now, but I did live here for a summer back in 2014. I am originally from Hay River, though, just on the other side of the lake. It was where I was born and where I grew up most of my life. Although at this point, I've spent a decent amount of time living in Alberta or BC, so I was starting to wonder if I still counted, but I still <laughs> count. I'm super happy to be back up north. And we're, uh, well, welcome back. I'm uh, super happy that you're back, I guess. It's super <laughs> cool to meet you. Um, so can you kind of tell me a bit about why you chose Yellowknife versus Hay River when you were making that choice? Was that simply an employment choice or are you considering back to Hay River? Do you still have family in Hay River? I don't have immediate blood relatives in Hay River really anymore, but a lot of my family and close family friends and friends still live in Hay River or Fort Smith area. Yeah. So I thought about going back to Hay River, but the job opportunity was in Yellowknife. Um, There's not as much available in terms of like various career paths as there are in Hay River. Um, so yeah, it was the job that mostly brought me the Yellowknife, but I loved it when I lived here for that one summer. The community was so colorful and vibrant and you really can't beat the summers out here. Well, I mean, the summer's been terrible, but yeah, I, you're the not The better wrong. summers, the better summers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the sunny, hot, warm summers. Um, yeah, and I think Yellowknife is, uh, I've talked about this before, is kind of, it's uh, it's very unique in that there's so many people like me and you, young professionals, putting that in air quotes, I guess. <laughs> um, but if you want to come up here and you want to do other things, you're uh, you're very much open to it. So you, you presently have a GNWT job, but you're also uh, a bartender server at the, the Black Knight, that's right. Oh, just a server. They won't let me bartend yet. <laughs> they won't. I don't know if that's an upgrade or a downgrade. It's actually. totally an upgrade. You gotta, you gotta earn that. So I just, I just moonlight as a server once or twice a week when, when they need me, and when I'm not already exhausted from sitting at a desk for seven and a half hours a day, I guess. Uh, surprisingly exhausting. Yeah, there's been. I've uh, even when I was like lawyering for like you know when working crazy hours and whatnot i've debated like picking up a brew pub bartending job because there's just it's such a nice change of pace from sitting all day to kind of like yeah it's like it's a good way to get paid and get your social time in completely you get to see all these people and you're not obligated to have like long conversations with anyone you're just like friendly get to see everyone bring them their food drinks make sure they're happy send them on their way and yeah it's the running around for hours too is a a good juxtaposition to the sitting so yeah exactly i try to go to the gym but i think i've managed to go back to the gym like five times since i moved to yellow night <laughs> i'm gonna make it it's gonna happen i'm just going to quit smoking first <laughs> quit smoking and then go to go to the gym and regularly more than five times jack jack self-improvement plan you know when you aim low you're not so often disappointed <laughs> yeah yeah exactly especially when it comes to a workout routine um, so what was, what was life growing up in Hay River with, like, um, 
I asked this question because I'm also from a very small town in BC, uh, not a small northern town, which is, I think, you know, inherently different. But I, uh, my, I've been to Hay River a few times, but my viewpoint of Hay River is very much one which is uh, distorted by Yellowknife's perception of Hay River, <laughs> in which it's mostly my friends shit talking Hay River. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, you get some of that sometimes. <laughs> But I think at times that's just a healthy rivalry as opposed to, like, you know, anything. Yeah. Oh, I remember facing off against Yellowknife high school games. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's yeah. a serious competition. Oh, it was. I I got myself, like, red flagged out of a basketball game so that I could just... Just because I was the, in charge of keeping their best shooter away from the basket. And we won that game. Two of us got red flagged out for that game, so... <laughs> we. But we won that game. <laughs> it's probably our first win against Yellowknife. Um, oh, heck, I remember I used to work the bar in Hay River. And I remember Yellowknife and Hay River having a hockey tournament in Hay River. And that went really poorly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for the bar that evening. <laughs> that went really poorly. But, I mean, growing up in Hay River, I'd never change it. I loved growing up there. I loved that you knew everyone. I mean, the flip side of it is that everyone knows you and everyone knows your business, but it was still really nice to just feel that sense of familiarity anywhere you went. And not just familiar with the people, but the area. Like I know all the little nooks and crannies of Hay River. I have m many a memory of wandering around different dirt roads and little abandoned sites and all that good stuff. Like I've been Yellowknife four months now and I don't know. We met at a park that I don't think I've ever been <laughs> yeah, to. Rotary Park. So. You, you, you were like, I don't know where that is. I was like, oh, wow, that's well, interesting. And then you said on school draw. <laughs> I got lost. That's why I was a couple minutes late. I went down a different road entirely, the one that goes past the schools by my work. I, I guess assumed that was school draw. <laughs> I, but... don't, yeah, I don't know. There's actually no schools on school draw, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I got a bit turned around and found it eventually. But... Yeah, I love that about Hay River, and I still love it about when I go back, just knowing all the places. And, like, Yellowknife's beautiful, but Hay River's beaches are better. I'm and sorry. That, that is absolutely 100% true. I, I, I don't <laughs> think anyone's disputing that. Yellowknife is, has one beach, and it's not that great. Yeah. I love, where, I love the rocky water edge, you know? It's really cool, but it makes for really bad sunbathing or, you know, like, just walking into the water nicely. Yeah. Oh yeah, just all the driftwood and everything on the Hay River beaches, the empty stretches of sand, like how rare it was to see other people and watching the sunrises and the sunsets in the summer. So, I I mean, I live in Yellow, we both live in Yellowknife as, you know, adults, whatever we're called. Mm. <laughs> uh, and, uh, sorry, what was I going to say? I... I feel like Yellowknife, or Yellowknife does just objectively have lots going on. Like oh, there's yeah. Just, there's no shortage of ways to get into, like, art or music or whatnot. Um, when you are growing up in Hay River and you hit those teenage years where mm -hmm. you're just, like, inherently bored with the world, I think, is what happens in your <laughs> teenage years to everyone, I think, whether you're from a city or a small town. And I actually don't know if that would be the case. Or I don't know if that would be any different in Yellowknife. I think our Yellowknife teenagers just feel like, oh, I'm mm. stuck in Yellowknife and they want to get out. Um, but can you kind of describe those, I'm going to call them teenage years in Hay River. Was it like you felt like you were stuck in like a small town and was like, what do I do? Like, you know, you're staring at the wall. Oh, yeah. That's, I think, like you said, that's probably something a lot of 
teenagers go through probably anywhere they grow up, but small town, you'll get it maybe faster and harder for sure. Yeah. Um, it was a sentiment that was shared like amongst a lot of my friends and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, some of us ended up staying, some of us still come back all the time. Um, like it felt sure it felt, uh, restricted in a lot of ways. Um, especially it didn't help. Like I was, I discovered the internet too, when I was going through high school and just seeing what seemed to be a much more rapid progression of, I don't know, ideas and everything in Southern communities and the big cities where, you know, a lot of that stuff, there's a lot more population to be on the internet spreading ideas. And then to be stuck in a small town where it felt like everything moved so slowly, it took us two extra months to get the new movies to the movie theater. Yeah. It seems like it took years. I didn't even I, know Hey, we ever had a movie theater, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> we have a whole two screens still, I'm pretty sure. Um, so, what, what hey, was you, when you say you discover, from. like, the internet comes along uh, <laughs> when you're a teenager, what was your first, what were you doing on the internet? Were you, uh... You're going to ask me what I was doing on the internet when I was a teenager? <laughs> <laughs> no, like, what are, what are you on, uh... What I don't even remember what we used like MSN Messenger was the one before that. Oh, yeah. Like I was trying to remember what my teenage internet looked like. Oh, I remember my parents had ICQ. Yeah, ICQ. But by the time I got there, it was MSN Messenger. Yeah. Um. Eventually, forums started popping up, and I remember the first yeah. really big one being Live Journal, and I had one of those for a while, and uh, mainly was just watching the rise and fall. Like the internet communities was super interesting. I was could never keep a daily blog or journal for the life of me. So I mainly just use them to, I don't know, interact, well, lurk other communities and read people's discussions and whatnot. And yeah, LiveJournal came and then... I had a MySpace for a while. I MySpace. Was MySpace. Yeah, that was, when, that was when those communities started moving into much more individualized, personalized thing. MySpace yeah. came up, Bebo, there was all these different kinds yeah, of yeah. little communities. Then Facebook started to dominate. And even now we're starting to see it's like hitting its peak. They all do eventually. Facebook just managed to be the first one to seriously monetize it when the internet hit capitalism straight on. So, Yeah, they have uh, no shortage of uh, money right now. I remember we used to make our own GeoCities little web pages. That was how I learned my first tiny bit of HTML coding. What's a GeoCity? What's a GeoCity account? Well, GeoCities used to just be a web hosting, but it was like very simplistic. Make your own little web pages and... Yeah, you could okay. always tell when someone made a GeoCities web page. I mean, mostly because it's a GeoCities in the URL, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, They're like uh, ancient internet history when it comes to JPEGs and animated sparkling backgrounds and yeah, yeah, your yeah. cursor I becomes can, I, a little icon. I, I can picture it now. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, I, I, have, I think I was an early Reddit adapter, but I don't even think... I think that was still after high school. I don't remember being on the internet in modern high school. So maybe mm. I was just a little late, late to the game as well. I was a bit of a homebody. Like, I didn't... I actually didn't start drinking alcohol or anything until I was 21, 22. So I spent a lot of time on the internet reading. And, yeah, was... and reading books. <laughs> wow, such a wholesome teenage year. <laughs> oh, no... don't worry, I made up for it later. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you. I. Uh, well, maybe we'll talk about that a bit too. Like, why? Why were you not? I assume everyone in Hay River in their teenage years is getting drunk because we live in the north. You wouldn't uh, be wrong. Like, why wasn't that occurring for teenage Jack? I don't, I think it was just my contradictory teenage nature mostly because I really can't offer any explanation other than I was just like, I just didn't want to. I couldn't understand why anyone else wanted to. My friends seemed to act like, well, drunk people, right? When they're drunk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And my brother, like, and his friends got 
brought home once from a school dance and everything and it just like never occurred to me plus they were all so fucked up they needed someone to take care of them mm-hmm. so I, that, that was my role for a lot of my teenage years not again i don't i say that without an ounce of grudge or anything i liked that i could be there to help everyone be safe get home safe get to bed find a bucket if they're gonna puke that kind of thing yeah that's fair yeah and then eventually i hit a point where i was just like you're right i'm gonna try this now and I liked it. <laughs> and now I work at a bar. <laughs> uh, um, okay, uh, let, let's jump forward from Hay River. Where? What do you do? When, when do you leave and where do you go? Let's let's summarize a decade of your life. Good luck. In a, in a sound <laughs> clip. Um, let's see. I left Hay River after high school. I lived in Red Deer. And then I moved back to Hay River for a semester. And then I moved back to Red Deer. And then I moved to Edmonton. And then I moved back to Hay River, and then after Hay oh, River, so you're back I moved in... to Toronto, and mm. then I moved back to Hay River, <laughs> and then I moved to BC, and then I moved back to Hay River. So you're back and forth and then from I moved Hay back River. To BC. How how could you even and then be I concerned moved to about like whether you lost your northern status when you were back and forth from Hay River twenty times in that? I I feel period. like it's because I probably have not actually done a northern winter in like six years. Uh, okay, we're doing and I feel the summer like, gigs. Yeah, exactly. I'm, uh, what do they call those? The old people that go down to Florida. And stuff like that. They, have a, they have a bird. They call them some kind of bird <laughs> word. I can't remember. But uh snowbirds. Yeah, there you go. See, yeah. I'm a snowbird. I migrate south when the really nasty winters come around. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm here now. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna rear in my snow wings, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I should probably buy some boots. Um so what uh what's your what's your Yellowknife winter plans look like? So so actually what can you maybe for the listeners, what is your current job? What do you do? You're uh I'm Internal corporate support uh, in communications with the Northwest Territories Health and Social Services Authority. Uh, my other job is serving at the Black Knight. The uh, internal corporate support reads extremely boring. Your comms with the GWT. <laughs> yeah. I, most people, I think, know what comms people do. It's not a bad gig, you know. No, were I you don't. were you ever a journalist at any point? No. Okay, so you're not like you're not selling out to comms. You're. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually finished my degree in business administration. Yeah. Sustainability is like a close second to the major. So, um, but yeah, I was uh, communications stuff is always been a favorite topic of mine i took a copy editing course before i've taken creative writing courses i enjoy writing and i really enjoy reading although i don't really write much anymore so well just professionally (laughs) just professionally yeah that's uh, one of the downfalls of finding a job with something you liked then it Mm. takes all the fun out of it yeah um okay maybe we can talk a bit about i I, I, so for our listeners, I am sometimes really bad at asking questions, so I always kind of make a little roadmap, uh, and then I go to it, and then sometimes the conversation just is off there, but I like to kind of check boxes so that there is some intention to this conversation, or I find that I just, the episode ends up being a rambling, and I don't know where it goes, which is also fine, too, so don't... I don't know. If you don't stop me, I'm just going to start telling you about all the dogs I've met. So. Yeah, well, I, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I think sometimes without by bringing intention, it, you don't get to lowest common denominator, which is talking about dogs or the weather or whatever <laughs> is the general conversation topics. 
Um, so Jack, I, I, the other on the checklist, I would I would like to talk to you a bit about your art, or just more so in the process of doing art. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, I was talking to you a bit about the books you read, and you uh, you started with sci-fi fantasy, which I think leading into like you know if I'm gonna stereotype you being like you know a nerdy kid who wasn't <laughs> drinking, spending time on the internet, who's into sci-fi fantasy, you know it. It lines up, but uh, I wanted to ask all of that kind of in the context of you just like drawing or painting and how that process has kind of, you know, something you continued to do throughout your life and why, what you Mm. get from doing art, not just what you're drawing as much as why (laughs) the process is more what I was trying to form a question around. Um, art has probably been one of the most consistent factors in my life since I started doing it in about grade seven. Um, if I had much artistic inclination before that, I don't really recall, but I remember making the conscious decision in grade seven to start doing art. And I got a couple of my artsy friends to help me out with the get go. And then I just started drawing a lot, all the time. People have looked at my art and been like, oh, you're so talented. I wish I had that kind of talent. But literally, I just, when I decided to start drawing, I, I didn't stop for a long time. I got in trouble in classes and stuff like that. And it was what I, I always carried a sketchbook around, just doodled all the time, even though they were terrible back then. Yeah, yeah. In fact, until about grade 11, I made like a summer ritual of burning all my old art <laughs> each year. So I don't have a lot of stuff past grade 11 anymore, but that's probably for the best. Um, but art has always been, well, if one thing it's one of those, it's like when you find that thing that allows you to tune out the rest of the world for a while. Like when I'm making art and I'm into it, the hours fly by. Like my mind, yeah. my conscious mind shuts off. I just sort of go with it. It doesn't mean it always works out. doesn't mean it's something I finish or show anyone ever, but it's just itself very meditative and trance-like, but... It's a way to also sometimes just pull things out of my head, put them into a material reality. Sometimes that helps. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's the dream for us all to find whatever, (laughs) you know. That's why I think creating is important. Whatever you create, like it doesn't have to be a specific piece of artwork or like music or anything like that, but just the act of creating and bringing things into the real world is... I think really important and therapeutic for a lot of people amen amen and i think anything you can find that kind of gets you that trance-like state or that meditative state where just like time flies by it's like yeah. oh it's probably a rather healthy thing yeah for hank hill it was mowing the lawn yeah exactly i you can damn right you can get <laughs> meditative and creative about mowing your lawn you know um um, but yeah, like I, with the stuff I read and everything, I, I would I would definitely say the reading feeds into the stuff I make. I think that's true of like everybody, like the whole idea, you know, you are what you eat. The ideas you bring into your world are the ideas that help you bring things out into the world too. All the stuff I read, it gives me ideas or it helps even subconsciously just like setting up new ideas. Um... Yeah, for sure. And I think that's probably extremely true of sci-fi because sci-fi fantasy, mm-hmm. well, I, I guess all books actually, just like they open you up into a different kind of way of thinking, which then, you know, whenever you kind of have that new mm-hmm. connection made, you get a new idea and it, it, it comes out some way, yeah. whether you know that's happening or not. 
I think sci-fi and fantasy have a special domain when it comes to that ability too because they have that freedom to really go in any direction mm-hmm. where a lot of other genres are essentially like limited by their genre the nature of sci-fi and fantasy is that it gives you the opportunity to really set up for incredibly radical ideas like the Ender's Game series is fantastic there's actually four books to it the yeah. movie did pretty decent job but the the series brings up so many intense ethical humanitarian questions and it does so in these really like on the surface insane kind of crazy story setups but they work yeah they allow you to kind of approach problems in ways that you might not otherwise if you were limited to trying to conceive of them with say just people or in just a certain setting or just a certain time yeah for sure um well, so Ender's Game, like, let me just recap this, I think. is mm. The first book, it's like Ender goes and they he's like this genius and he's kind of in his head and then it turns out that like the game he's playing is actually leading the real military fleet and he mm-hmm. wipes off all the things. And then he gets into the other ones and I think... Is Ender's Game... Like, I'm actually just trying... This is really bad radio to remember what it was about. But he essentially is trying to like reconcile that for the rest of the books. And he's like traveling the kind different of, planets. Yeah. But the main, the main ideas behind the books is the idea of how we approach the concept of the other. Yeah, okay. Whether yeah, we yeah. come at them Because with there's fear. like this radical military that's like the bugs or whatever they call them. Well, and, and that's because the bugs came to Earth first. Yeah. And they did a massive amount of devastation. But it's because the bugs were hive mind... Yeah. They couldn't speak to us, so they assumed we were basically fancy animals. Yeah, yeah. But that just, that even that shows a presupposition of anything that does not immediately match me is something yeah. that is less or not me. Whereas the message of the Ender's Game series overall is like learning to recognize and appreciate the differences in the variety of life and how those on their own might still be sacred and recognizable if we look for similarities as opposed to differences there's he describes different levels of like approaching the other and i can't remember all of them right now it's so great to bring up an idea and not be able to actually elaborate (laughs) on it but yeah he it's him traveling around in the rest of the series but they encounter a few different alien races um ender also helps set up the hive queen with a new planet so that she can repopulate because he feels terribly guilty for committing genocide, as one should. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's um, there's also a lot of sub-layers to it and everything, like Ender's interactions with his siblings, because Ender's the balanced character between his psychotic older brother and his way-too-nice younger... Uh, like, older sister, too, I guess. Yeah, he's the younger one. Yeah, yeah. So he's like this perfect balance desired by the military that allows him to empathize enough to understand his enemy but also ruthless enough to make the killing moves if he needs to. Well, now you just made me want to go back and reread Ender's Game. Everyone should read the Ender's Game series. I have. It's just been years. (laughs) I'm really bad at, like, remembering anything from, especially sci-fi fantasy books. They're just kind of like... I've read the Ender's Game series a couple times. Yeah. (laughs) Good. Okay, good. That makes me feel (laughs) better about my inability to... You actually just read it a couple times, so it's stuck. <laughs> I was also lucky enough to have a couple of people interested in reading it too at the same around the same times I was doing a reread, so we got chances to like 
talk about it. Like my brother and I used to have really in-depth conversations about the books, and I had a couple friends I read it, so they'd be like writing me to talk about it. Yeah, I love that with books. It's... I I think that's the worst part about reading like a large mm-hmm. fantasy series is that you're just like I want anyone to talk like I'm reading <laughs> yeah. forms by myself, and it's like I spent so much time in this world. Can yeah. I want someone to talk to about it. Oh, exactly right. You almost feel so lonely afterwards. You're thrust back into the real world, and yeah. no one understands. <laughs> yeah, you don't know what I've been through. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Hundreds of hours. The just power of books. Amen. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I don't know where else I was going to take this conversation. No, I don't, I, sometimes I make these little notes, too, and then I'm like, well, how do I make a lead into that? Mm. And then I often do this instead of asking the question as I just narrate <laughs> about meta things in the podcast. Um, I'll ask another question, then. Yeah, no, I wanted to talk a bit. Well, maybe we can talk about this a bit in sci-fi uh, mm. because it, it plays with a lot of themes and it plays with kind of ideas that we all have to reconcile with. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to talk to you a bit about, I think I'm going to call them political beliefs, but mm. uh, I think I want to talk about them at that higher level of like, mm. you know, we're living in a very interesting time right now where you could write a science fiction novel about it like we have. <laughs> We, I, yeah. that's probably the case we're always throughout humanity but we're like you know as this climate change ramps up and we're approaching this climate disaster there's this inherent thing going on everywhere which uh i've been thinking about a lot lately i guess everyone has it's unavoidable In, yeah um a, there's, there's this, like, objective science that you can go and read and if anyone hasn't done that you can and then you take that and you're like, okay, you know, 1.5 degrees, 2 degrees is just, like, mm-hmm. devastating for the planet. And then you take that information and you, I, I think almost everyone, and I'm not even going to talk yeah. about climate deniers, reads that and agrees because it's some scientist who's, it's objective. And you're like, okay. Yeah. But then you start thinking about, like, okay, the world going to complete shit. And I feel like almost then I myself struggle. It's like there's a built-in denial sensor. Yeah. Of like, well, I don't want to think about that. No. You know? We can't. We haven't ever faced any kind of, like, social horizon, our generation like that, where we literally... I don't even think anyone actually has. Climate change is a global problem of unprecedented proportions. Should we actually hit a tipping point, the best we've got are theoretical scientific models, which, don't get me wrong, are still definitely the best and most accurate things we can do. But it's still not a guarantee. And we things could get exponentially worse than predictions. Or we could potentially see a leveling out. Who knows? I think we're much more likely heading towards a kind of disaster horizon and we don't even really know how to conceive of that because this is such a widespread problem with such global ramifications we how do how do we even begin to conceive of what it'd be like if all of our supply chains shut down like if we just weren't capable of traveling around like we're used to if we suddenly saw stores literally empty yeah and i uh... and heat waves killing (laughs) our population every summer and I think um, perhaps our generation, and whatever I'm meaning when I say that, is probably the least prepared to even think of anything like that. Because if you know, if you were a, of a generation that lived through World War One or Two, mm-hmm. or to you know, 
even if you were American and you were involved in the Vietnam War and like saw like this intense culture war yeah. in the sixties or you know. But even those, think about it. You you might have been in a war torn country. You might have been in a place where you were under austerity measures. You might have had limited supplies, but you usually had some conception that somewhere else in the world was okay. Yeah. That somewhere else there wasn't war happening. That somewhere else people were just going about their day to day lives. Hell, that might have been the city next door. But we might be potentially facing a situation where there's no other countries that can come to help us. Like with global with global climate change, the potential ramifications are devastating. Yeah, and I think this is the the there's an actual inability there, like a, a human inability to fully comprehend that because it's a it's in one part it's the deniability it's or mm-hmm. it's uh not my problem mentality which is the same as you know you can keep being told over and over again that yeah. there's people starving in you know developing countries and you can but your bubbles yeah you live your life you know and if it doesn't affect your bubble that's fine yeah. and then so even if you can develop the empathy to like recognize that you know mm-hmm. that that's happening you then run into this other problem of what do I do about it? Exactly. Um, and then I think the climate change one is it's, it's bigger than that because it's not even relating to another person. It's thinking like this is a whole planet that I live on. And I, uh, whenever I talk about climate change, I always like to talk about like the first time we went to the moon and there's that the photo they took of like the, the blue marble is what the photos often yeah. called of like so many people saw that and it just was like a rapid change in perspective of like oh wow like that's everything like and it just looks so fragile in space and i think that's a very i don't think humans are really we're not designed no to to think in those terms you know it hurts my brain to think about (laughs) the whole planet Um, which i think is the first barrier we are even getting over and i don't think people talk about this enough which is because it's hard to you know Mm, it is it's a hard thing to conceive of And it's not the first time I've had conversations about this subject where we hit that wall of like, how do I care? How do I make other people care beyond what's immediately happening? This is going to sound really terrible to start out with, but hear me out. I think this was actually the original intention when it came to like religious belief communities. The message of a lot of saviors, divinity figures, gods and stuff like that is the whole, the whole golden idea, you know, do unto others as you'd have do unto yourself love thy neighbor even if your neighbor is not immediately 50 feet away from you like you love everyone you want to love everyone in equal measure and if you actually loved everyone that you knew existed like jesus christ did i've got air quotes happening there um but like jesus christ did if you loved everyone to the same degree that you loved yourself you would want them to be safe happy healthy and capable of pursuing their best life would you not you would care about them i'm not saying we need belief I'm saying we need some way of connecting people the way that religions and belief used to, to make you feel like you are a part of it. Because our other option is to remain separate and continue fighting about our borders and our resource supplies instead of just seeing each other all as one united human race. It's an idealist perspective, but uh, yeah, like religion obviously really didn't work out (laughs) as a historical option. So, I mean, I think it's on us to find that new way. We have the tools. The internet has already connected us. Now we just got to figure out a way to get everyone to care about that connection and what that can mean. We have the capabilities and we actually have the resources of organizing things so that literally every person on the planet could be fed. 
And if we could actually supply for everyone so that you weren't scared of losing your house or, you know, going hungry or freezing in the streets, like, you would probably be less inclined to commit crimes, shit like that. If you weren't, if you were in a system where you felt supported, taken care of, like, <laughs> it just blows my mind. So many, like, and not just, when I say religion, I'm not just talking Abrahamic, but, like, even indigenous cultures, like, all these ones colonialist culture has spent so much time trying to eradicate came with these concepts of like the Iroquois seven generation principle you know thinking seven generations ahead conceiving of not just the people in your physical like immediate temporal reality as being real people but also the people down the line and what that means so many of these indigenous cultures had these ideas of not using more than you need, not taking more than you need, supporting and loving everyone in your community because it's essential for survival. And now we've reached a point where our community is so much bigger than just the people within like a 50 kilometer radius. And we need to start caring on that level. But we don't individually have the resources to care on that level. So many of us are facing the day-to-day -day grind of trying to make enough money to survive and then trying to have enough fun in your off hours that you don't just want to quit your job and run into the woods. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot, <laughs> lot to unpack in that rant there. I know. Um, like I said, I got a lot of things I don't mind soapboxing about. Um, I, I, I guess I'd like to start with my thoughts on just jumping back to religion. I, I like what you said about religion because I think often we talk about religion as causing you know war and like but mm -hmm. I, I think it really discredits um the unifying force of religion religions at their borders have mm -hmm. been highly conflict but within their borders it's been like an unparalleled parallel unifying and peaceful exactly. thing and um, i'm i think religion at that level is can almost become synonymous with culture like mm -hmm. the point of having a large scale religion or a culture is that you can meet a stranger and identify with them yeah. and show them compassion and when those meet up on borders you know that's where conflict arises yeah um and i think that's interesting that we're now facing like a global threat and I, I do think that there's this really amazing kind of hope or thing to be view the world as like, you know, for the first time, probably we could actually get over that like mm -hmm. issue of borders of being like, no, this is a whole planet. We're all going to tackle this problem together. And, you know, like there's really no downside to me. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I guess this is where you get into this weird like, it's it's somewhat I think becomes so antagonistic because people don't even realize, but in in thinking that way, they view it as a threat to their mm -hmm. nationalism or their you know. I was just gonna say. Yeah, and it's like that's why I I have this thing about belief systems where mm -hmm. I don't think anyone really knows what's going on, including myself. And like, no one. you're right. You can never fully grasp a belief system, but there's this neat thing that happens is if you get a thousand conservatives together in a room and then you tell them to define conservatism and then you do that with another like they'll come up with relatively the same thing because those thousand people who've decided to grab little bits and pieces can kind of piece together mm -hmm. the larger sum of its parts or whatever no and and then that's why i think we keep running into nationalism versus globalism because mm -hmm. it is like a real thing that's happening right now yeah. whether we want to like whether we can even think in those terms or not. I mean, mm -hmm. clearly we can think in nationalist terms. <laughs> We've done that a lot throughout history. 
I think this is one of our problems is we're just so much quicker to see differences. Yeah. On every kind of level. I, I wonder sometimes, because like religion, like you said, has a lot of unifying and beneficial aspects to it. And I don't even blame religion specifically for the historical ills that are attributed to it. I think religion got utilized as a tool to achieve certain very human ends. Mara, come here. Sorry, that's Mara the dog whining. <laughs> Mara wants to be yeah, on the show too. Exactly. And so um, is it is it human nature that prevents us from utilizing our tools to their best potential? Or is it simply something we haven't learned yet? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't have an answer to that. I know, because like we've got the yeah. internet, we could be connected, we could be working, and some people are trying, some people are desperately trying. But there's also this whole other subsection of the internet that's dedicated to being as dividing as possible. Yeah, and I, uh, I think, I so like that divisiveness. I think has. It has, like, one part. One is, I think, like, shitty human nature of, like, being self-interested. And there's people who just, like, they view any sort of change of the status mm -hmm. quo of, like, shifting our entire culture to a, a global thing as a negative. Mm -hmm. And they want to, you know, whatever, continue to own too much shit or do whatever they're doing. They, and mm -hmm. it's weird because it's not even people who are advocating that are not necessarily the ones benefiting. But they, yeah. they've... so. So that's why I think there's also a valid thing going on there that we have to recognize is that they view it as a threat to the, like globalism or that the idea that we would all come together and solve this problem mm -hmm. and then maybe you know as a result create a slightly more porous borders and you know yeah. slightly let they view that as a threat to their identity mm -hmm. and their identity for them has been a uniting positive force mm -hmm. until it runs up against borders. <laughs> I think it's up against other identities like so much of our identities these days i i think a lot of it has to do with our really subconscious at times but very conscious but very heavy weight to economic effect like uh it's part of people's identities sure but some of, a lot of times their identities are wrapped up in platforms that also include consideration for economic repercussions, which translates often to safety, security, food for the individual, right? If the economy is yeah, yeah. stable, I have a job, I have money, things are good. So threats to the economy translate also into a threat to personal security and identity. Yeah. But, and because this has become such a major focus of all our major worldwide decisions, which made sense for a while when the economy was fueling everything. But now our capitalist manifestation of an economy is absolutely destroying everything and can is like a tool that has been specifically built to destroy things as fast for as much profit as possible. And I think that's where a lot of these issues come up with. If we were able to <laughs> distribute resources in a way that it supported everyone, you wouldn't feel that threat to safety. But the economy, so much of our civilization has become subject to the economy as opposed to the other way around. The economy is supposed to be a tool and economics is not a science. I'm sorry, <laughs> but it's one of those things we've convinced ourselves as a force of nature. It's, but it's supposed to be something that supports human causes, right? That allows us to continue on. But capitalism is built on the idea of a subset of resources available for use. It necessitates the subjugation of other resources, whether that be labor, like animals, topsoil, <laughs> <laughs> this goes on. 
But when that's the nature of the tool you're handling, even when you're trying to handle it to your best ends, you're supporting the same system the problems are coming out of. Your solutions are not going to come out of that system of thinking. <laughs> Once again, a lot. I, 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 yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. I, I always struggle when people talk about capitalism because I, I have like I have two viewpoints. Is I, mm. I feel like I always want to be like, well, a capitalist structure that just completely continues to perpetuate inequality is just mm. like, yeah, I'm one hundred percent on board with what you're saying. But then this like I, I, I struggle in. Well, I, I guess grounding this back to climate change of like, okay, we have to think globally, we have to solve this problem. I don't see how we do that without being somewhat practical and realistic that like, you know, we need Boeing. Like mm -hmm. I need someone who can figure this shit out and has completely the infrastructure in place mm -hmm. to do it, you know? Yeah. And so, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's a, it's a difficult question, especially because there have been no other so far it, proposed viable models. Not to say if like uh, capitalism is still super viable, but so far, like no one else has come up with a better idea is what we hear. Yeah. Well, and even then it's like it'd be ridiculous to be advocating for a continued form of capitalism that is just killing the planet like mm -hmm. that just doesn't even that's just nonsensical mm -hmm. and so i think that like to even for well there are people advocating for that so why am i <laughs> saying like it'd be nonsensical it's, it's we're running into it it's potentially possible that we could modify capitalism and which yes means regulating it heavily <laughs> into a form that actually supports us but at this point i feel like the tenants of the current manifestation of capitalism are so inbred in us that it would be nearly impossible to achieve that kind of effective change in a time frame that we need that kind of change to happen. I don't know what the solution is. I don't know how you would radically direct a whole bunch of infrastructure towards problems to solve things like climate change and whatnot. But that's what I'm saying is we should be doing that. We should be directing massive amounts of resources to the things we need to solve we shouldn't allow people to make plastic straws and fucking doodads <laughs> anymore honest to god like we have so much abundance of luxurious options that are totally unnecessary do not actually benefit us simply make our lives processes more convenient always at the cost of somewhere else and someone else in some other region we need to we need to go through all that and decide to start cutting the chaff like it's it's one of those things too like if you were to like you know our systems are not i not really designed because if you were ever to design a system like you would there's just mm. so many inefficiencies everywhere yeah in everything that it's just it's kind of just this chaotic fucking mess right now that i mm. i think is the other thing i i when people are defending the like the overarching market system that we live in it's like yeah. I don't think they also realize how poorly it's constructed yeah. and that I have no faith in a lot of our international <laughs> supply chains to like no. maintain any sort of disaster. And and anyone who's like an expert in disaster management, just like mm. the first thing they say is like, everyone's so unprepared. Like, yep. you know, we just oh, assume yeah. things will be fine. Oh yeah. I remember being in Yellowknife in 2014 when that, uh, they had the Armageddon day. Yeah. The forest fires were like a kilometer outside of town. You could see red lightning on the black horizon. Oh, I think that was when we found out that like the grocery store generators would only last for a grand total of 48 hours. So you better hope those highways open up. 
Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, what would happen if everything went to pot in one go? Even the subsystems that you'd rely on, you know, getting supplies from nearby cities and stuff like that. What if they're unavailable too? And one of the things we know we are vastly lacking is a whole generation of self-sufficiency and survival knowledge. Again, another piece of traditional knowledge eradicated by colonialist cultures prevent those people from being able to survive. Woo, look, now we don't know how either. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> exactly. I need my supermarket. <laughs> Who doesn't, right? Like, I know how to grow vegetables. I was only half good at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to hunt. I'm a half-ass hunter and gardener. So. <laughs> um, know, yeah, whenever I have these conversations, there's just so many threads and so many like things to dissect, and I, I I struggle to put my thoughts into mm-hmm. because. Um, but where I did want to kind of go with this too is, um, I, I'd like to take it back to this humanitarian or the, the viewpoint of humans. Mm-hmm. Because I think at the end of the day, I, I, I don't think that this, you know, the current systems that we are operating in are really a reflection of what people believe. I think, mm-hmm. like, we've allowed too much inequality. And there was actually this report by the OECD, like, mm-hmm. of all the organizations to, like, yeah. come out and say, like, inequality is bad. They were like, we're, we're reaching a point in the the Gini coefficient, which is how you mm-hmm. measure inequality. That it's it's harmful to the top like one percent at this point. Like you guys ha- are realizing you're not going to be able to have enough people to buy your products. You know, like you have if you pay the workers <laughs> a little more, they'll buy more stuff. Like it's we've actually reached a point in the inequality yeah. index where it's becoming, which is this that like when that becomes true, it's to me it's just like another one of these examples of like mm. a system designed to just like exploit until it reaches a breaking point mm-hmm. and then we like to dial it back and then i think that's where the the response comes like well why would we just continue on that path shouldn't we just redesign the system yeah and that's where i'm always like yeah but show me the alternative before we do that because mm. we've torn down a lot of systems and it usually just ends up being shitty too you know mm. i but, will say that most other systems that we've seen come up in other countries like communism and whatnot are frequently politically interfered with that's in for damn like, sure. major ways. So it's really hard to say, like, look, those guys are always failing when you're literally sending people in there to kill them. Yeah, I'm, I'm certainly not trying to make the argument well, no, that, like, s- socialism bad because USSR. It's like, fuck off. No, this, yeah. You know, it's complicated. I just think, like, we haven't... To say we haven't seen anything better isn't necessarily true. And what we're seeing now is so not great in so many ways that I think unavoidably our generation, our era is, if we have history books later down the line, is going to be looked on very fucking poorly. Yeah, I think to even let global inequality get to this point is just a failure on everyone's part. You know? mm. And to let that, like even the inequality, I mean, like... The Northwest Territories has one of the highest, has, I believe, the highest inequality in Canada, if not Nunavut. Like, yeah. you know, there's a significant percentage of the population living below the poverty line. Yep. And then the average income in, like, you know, the territory mm-hmm. is still managed to be, like, 130. Like, it's amazing that It's disparity. ridiculous, yeah. And then that's true in Canada, even more so in North America, even more so globally. It's mm-hmm. just, it's ridiculous. I just think that any system that allows for such an accrual of wealth, especially at the expense of the rest of the system is broken maybe not in an like in one of the innate tenants kind of broken but even capitalism has not gone unaltered obviously 
like one of the maybe one of the big faults about capitalism is that it allows the best players the most weight in the game but yeah it's still not which i don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that there just doesn't seem to be a currently within the system like a but if all the best players to like you know that's just it you need some kind of stopping point you need a cap of some kind you know we could even cap it as like the the richest person makes uh like a million times more than the poorest person like and that would be a rapid redistribution of wealth like a million times more is where we're going to draw the line like which is still insane you know? I just feel like if we were at some point, and admittedly people call it like primitive or whatever back in the day, but we were, humanity as a race was capable of living communally with communal considerations. Capitalism is actually a kindly, kind of fairly recent development, although it admittedly is following on the heels of like centuries of social hierarchies being set up and whatnot. But we, we used to have some capability of living in a way where we cared about everyone and without as many luxuries as we did. And I'm not saying we're going to all return to like hunting with sticks and rocks because obviously that's ridiculous. But I think we could do to return to some level of, I don't know, re- rewilding was a term I really liked. Just sort of becoming reaccustomed to being in nature, not just in terms of things that you can do, but also in your personal relationship understanding with the natural world. Because humanity frequently likes to think of itself as being a thing separate from the nature it inhabits, but that is unavoidably just not true. We have an effect just by being in in a space. Yeah, which I think if there's a, there's ever, well, and, and this is part of the reason I think that the, the climate disaster is it's so interesting on so many levels but mm-hmm. if there's ever kind of a movement to arise where humans have to click in and be like oh actually like i am a little more connected to the natural world it's one that like floods your house or burns down your city like you know yeah. like that just has to <laughs> it makes it so much more apparent and that's why i think people get they get dismissive of this because if you've never kind of been in dealing with that you don't mm-hmm have that mindset but there's you know that's why the north is also super unique because we have you know people going out of the land and saying like this is different and it's not supposed to be yeah and that doesn't translate well to people who don't even really understand what that means and you know admittedly i'm like i don't even really have that ability but like there's a knowledge there of like Mm -hmm. this is changing and it's wrong and that is true it just shows that, you know, I, I think, well, obviously there's an inherent benefit of being more mm. in tune with your surroundings. Like, why, yeah. why wouldn't there be more humans? See, and I think, again, this brings us back to the whole, like, how do you make people care? <laughs> yeah. But and, uh, one of the problems, I think, with that, when we ask people to care, is, like, we want, we want, people want to feel positively. And people want to think of caring as a positive thing. But the flip side of caring about anything, whether you care about like another human being, is that when they hurt or they hurt you, you hurt too. And I think that's actually what our situation calls for when we talk about caring about what's happening, what's happening to people. That actually entails hurting a lot. If you, like, when you love someone, you feel their hurt when they hurt. And when we ask people, like, think about how terrible it is over there, people don't want to do that because most people don't want to feel bad in general. Yeah. People spend most of their lives actively avoiding various kinds of pain in pursuit of various kinds of pleasure. 
And I think that's one of our big barriers is like recognizing to recognize how bad things have gotten would mean actually feeling how bad things have gotten and then deciding on what to do about it. Because when you feel something, that's when you're most motivated, right? That's when you're driven to do something about it. Because you can conceive of something logically, but feel nothing about it and thus feel no impetus to do anything about it. You need that whole trifecta of like emotionally and like psychologically conceiving of an idea to be able to get to the action part of it uh, absolutely and this is what well, this is kind of like what i was saying about like anyone can go read that science the science and mm -hmm. i think objectively agree with it yeah and then you can kind of just detach yourself from it like oh whatever not my problem or what am i going to do about mm -hmm. it and then i think there's also one I, i've struggled with this because i it's like i think the other like way you want to convince people is like Fearmongering implies it's not true, but like mm. being like, act like this is a serious issue because it is, as you can mm. clearly find out. <laughs> but that doesn't necessarily. I think that just causes people to retract just as much as like yeah. you know we're not we're hu we're not well accustomed to fear like yeah. fight or flight kind of thing. It's never like yeah. I'm afraid, so let's come together. <laughs> so then I think like we run into this other problem of like you know you're asking someone to shift their mentality but fear is like mm -hmm. one of the main motivators or main realities of the situation yeah yeah and it is an unfortunate reality of the situation i think it's part of the whole process though it's like anything that hurts you learn to accept it and lean into it so that you can learn from it we have to feel how bad this is before we're really going to be able to make serious movements on it. Same as people have to like see effects in their very personal lives before they're willing to take real yeah. action. It's, I, I just don't want it to have to get to that point. <laughs> yeah, which is like... <laughs> I don't want climate change to be knocking on my back door before I do something about it. Um, oh, wait, it's here. Yeah, and then this is another thing I always kind of push in like, uh, like restructuring the narrative is I think there's this kind of like narrative that's like it's all bad and we have to make a bunch of sacrifices to do anything and then it'll still be bad which is like i just objectively not true it's like doing nothing is the worst option right now doing and, nothing is basically agreeing to continue doing what you're doing yeah and and then the consequences will be really bad and actually like implementing some solutions that mm -hmm. are like radically redistribute you know mm -hmm. really we're just and, and it's, it's like we're not I, d I don't, you know, I don't know to what extent we, I think shifting the perspective to global happens. It, it has to happen. Yeah. But it's not even a too radical of a restructuring of what's going on. You just have to eliminate carbon being produced, you know, <laughs> not like completely, but at, to a measurable level. Yeah. And there's certain industries you can just pinpoint and be like, oh, we have a fossil fuel industry that's responsible for vast majority. Okay. So yeah. we're restructuring one industry. Most people working in bars and restaurants or whatever mm. your job is, like are going to go about their life. You yeah. Know? And so I think that's the other thing is that sometimes we view the problem as just so it's impossible we'll never be able to do anything and it's actually like well no Let's we're talking about one anything. industry that you know we've lost plenty of industries throughout history and we've completely restructured you know mm -hmm. it happens with there's one thing humanity's good at it is getting by and surviving we can do it it's just going to be super inconvenient <laughs> i think we've, for the last however many decades we've gotten really accustomed to convenience like i try to i say it 
to people. I I don't know. It's just you can't global change. Global climate change is not something we can buy our way out of. It's literally something that has to be an action that happens. We have to cut things off at the source. We have to make those kinds of changes because it's not something you can just donate money to and hope someone else is running the cause. It's literally something we need direct street action on. Like we. We know that if this all goes down, it could literally shut our societies down. So what if we took a couple of days to shut our societies down and say like, hey guys, fix this. All these people we've put into these positions of power supposedly to be in this exact point when we're in fucking trouble. Why don't we actually show them like how bad we want this change? But you can't really convince people to walk out on their work very often. That's why you just get high schoolers doing it, <laughs> yeah. which is still really great. But it just sucks because like the people who are primarily making the machine run continually because they need the machine to run to survive. They have no other power. <laughs> We're so consumed with making this machine run so that we can survive. We don't have the time, energy or resources to start brainstorming and going to town halls and dedicating all that like that bare minimum of time and energy you have left to something that feels so exhaustingly huge and beyond your ability to change there are things we can do but they're just really radical scary things and no one no one's going to be the one person to walk out on their job on the facebook event day <laughs> yeah so it's like it's something that is going to require massive movement to really get across that we want things to be different which is, yeah, I think that, uh, that inherently, like, it's, it solves the problem. I, I, I have so many thoughts about this that I have not fully formed. <laughs> One of my, th pro the problems I think that happens is that, like, when we get environmental movements and when there's not enough buy-in, I think they have a problem of, like, shooting themselves in the foot of, mm -hmm. like, people being like, oh, look at those, you know, radicals <laughs> just marching and there was only eight people who showed up for the, the whatever, this whole thing doesn't matter yeah. anymore. So that, but that's an issue of tactics. But I think the great thing about a movement and especially a movement that becomes global on an interconnected planet mm -hmm. is that you can then, like, feel like you have a sense of empowerment because yeah. you see millions of other people doing that. Mm -hmm. Um and then I think it's it's really a matter of, like, people in positions of power who we know could just do this no. are still not, like, they're not in a vacuum where they just have their power anyways. Exactly. It's like they have to be able to respond to enough public impetus to mm -hmm. do that. Um, Never mind all the red tape they have to get through to get it done. Yeah, amen to that. <laughs> and they also, I think, have to be able to, like, be given a solution that, like, well, that's the, the mm -hmm. other problem you run into that allows them to they want to keep their power to allows yeah. them to continue to operate you know within a worldview or framework that they still kind of are comfortable with mm -hmm. and then when you run into people like you know the donald trump's yeah. of the world it's like well that's just not like you know not an option yeah. like you that's why that situation is radicalized yeah. because you just there's no one who's convinced ever that donald trump's going to lead the climate change oh, movement God, and man. like like he's subsidizing coal right now which is like there's certain solutions like coal we could just eliminate like we don't that one's not yeah. like complicated we it's only complicated we're, if you're we're really actually hung bringing up on it DMT. back in places because yeah yeah it's freaking it's terrifying state affairs here okay i've got a question we'll change track for a little bit let's okay. let's get off of the uh dystopian <laughs> future like freaking was it fear-mongering it's not fear-mongering it's just reality <laughs> how do you like the idea of electing all of our politicians 
not only by popular vote, but making the positions completely like zero, zero personal gain to it. Like you can't, you can't have friends or family. You have to dedicate yourself to the fucking job. This is your business. Is to be seeing people every day. Like you're not supposed to have a family or anything. You make zero money for it. You get zero social prestige out of it. You live like a pauper. Because your singular purpose in life is to help guide the rest of humanity. And they can kick you out at any time. You can stay as long as the majority of people want you around. Maybe majority might not be the best way to go about it. Maybe like total unity sort of thing. But but you have more power maybe. I'm just trying to figure out a way to elect people so that money doesn't get in the way. <laughs> Yeah, well, I don't, I don't, I don't, yeah. How would so you it, change it, our election process, if so, you could? Well, first off, I think the there's, I don't think the issue of, especially in the Northwest Territories, like, or in Canada as much, the money in politics, I don't believe is as much as an issue. Mm. I mean, in the United States, it's clearly just a ridiculous issue with these super PACs and mm-hmm. billions of dollars spent in lobbying, but... Uh, I don't, I, I don't, I don't feel good about that situation at all. I don't think it gets you the type of politician we're looking for anyways. Yeah, I guess that's the thing we got to define too. Yeah, I, I think there's actually, I don't care how much you pay politicians. I don't think any of them are really in it for Mm -hmm. the paycheck there. Mm. Um, I don't know where I was going with this, but yeah, you're certainly right that there's plenty of people seeking the position of power for the the Sacred kind of power. yeah or the what, like the prestige or the notoriety to it mm-hmm. which i uh yeah perhaps we should well it's funny because we should talk politicians all the time but perhaps we should right. create ways so that there can be less like let's go elections full gladiator style <laughs> yeah maybe <laughs> see you have to be willing to die to be get to get up there um. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking Ryan. <laughs> I also think there's this thing we do where we uh, we ask politicians to be a certain way, which then, like, and adhere to a certain kind of way mm. of acting, which then eliminates just huge swaths of the poly- populace. Mm. Like, you know, like, we still aren't... And it's going to be interesting as, like, our generation gets older. It's like, you're just going to see politicians covered in tattoos because everyone's yeah. fucking covered in tattoos. Yeah. Like, you know, to rule that out, as a, which it has been, you know. Uh-huh to hold public office is just insane you know how do we keep politics from becoming the kind of uh entertainment that it's obviously become in the u.s and seems to be leaking over to canada absolutely that's Um, that's my big concern is there almost seems to be this like public perception when it comes to media of like this crossover where celebrities and politicians are almost the same thing and we're super concerned about every aspect of their life so if I just, if I got a politician, I just want them to make good decisions for the people. Well, they can do whatever they want in their personal lives, obviously within certain degrees of reasonability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But because <laughs> I say that while also all the stuff with Jeffrey Epstein's going down in the states, so just make good choices. Oh God, why is that so hard for us? Yeah. I think that the issues you are raising, though, I don't know how much they're solved by changing the the structure to say, you know, we need politicians that have zero money or whatnot. It's like mm-hmm. the problem of our politics being influenced by too much money or industry too much is mm-hmm. is a reflection of the society that's still like allowing that to happen. And, you know, 
Mm. It's very astute. I like the, that. The fact that we're electing... So I don't think that means we need to change the system. Like, you know, it, it would say, like, these people aren't allowed. Like, they'll, it'll still find a way to allow that to happen somehow. Exactly. Um, and this electing TV personalities who run reality TV shows is, I think, also just a reflection of our media just becoming stupider and stupider and more polarized and more polarized and people not yeah. digesting you know, long-form journalism or real engaging things. Like, we're all just... Which is, you know... How do you fix that? I don't know. I, I think you... Yeah. you well, I, I think there's lots of ways, actually. <laughs> Getting people out in the land increases attention spans inherently, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, which ties back to the other point. There's, there's lots yep. of ways to make sure people are capable of actually reading, you know, and then dealing with an article that takes more than three seconds to read. Yeah, it used to be common. Yeah, exactly. No, it's like, it's, it's a convenience culture, though. It's this whole idea of boiling everything down to stuff that's quick and digestible. Doesn't take up too much of your time or resources. Just something you can eat and keep going with, because we're all so freaking busy these days. Yeah. Um, although I guess I also don't like to just shit here, shit, sit here and shit talk. I feel like that's... Uh, mm-hmm. this, I, I've, I've had the, I have these conversations that me and you are having... T- all the time. I think yeah. it's probably whenever I start talking politics, it just evolves into me and another person sitting there at a bar drinking, just complaining Things. about the world because it's just so easy to do. That's always the yeah. easier option. And so I, uh, I, I, uh, well, a, one of the reasons I do this podcast because it's long form conversation. It's rare to have hour long conversations. I, every time I, someone listens to this, I'm amazed. I'm like, I'm really <laughs> glad that you spent an hour of your life. And I, uh, I also think there's other positive things in that we're seeing, like, a lot of people engage with policy and, like, just the level of, like, our think tanks throughout the world mm-hmm. have gotten better than they ever were. Like, yeah. you know, we're really seeing a next level, be- largely due to technology in that we just have ways to look at data better than we ever could. And like you talk about the internet, we have ways to connect with people. Like, mm-hmm. so to just be negative all the time, I think also reinf- is, is why people get dismissive. They're like, yeah, no. no, I don't want to hear, everyone's always bitching and complaining. But if we're looking for the tools to like mm-hmm. enact change, they're all there and they're mm-hmm. very efficient and easily utilized. Like we've seen the way Twitter can be utilized to just like rapid movements and you know yeah. the internet as well. And we've seen people just like conduct policy analysis that's like they can break down so th- like you know we love talking about GDP and it's like yeah but we can talk about like you know rates of poverty increasing like rates of mm-hmm. health like everything we can get 45 metrics and we yeah. have the ability to kind of do that for yeah. the first time ever yeah so that was me trying to end this hour-long rambling <laughs> on a positive note I agree wholeheartedly I don't think anyone should get caught up too much in the negatives I think it's just important to be realistic about where we're starting from when it comes to developing the solutions, because it's going to be really difficult to, I think, one of the big problems we'll be facing is creating solutions that hopefully prevent this kind of situation from happening again. I have faith in humanity. I think we get in our own way most of the time, but we'll get there. Yeah, obviously. Well, not obviously. Not obviously. <laughs> uh, it, well, and, and it's, you know, if history's have shown us anything, it's like... It, things can get really bad like you know we can change we have Mm -hmm. radically changed just as social creatures in our whole like race timeline at one point we used to believe that like soap was an evil thing and you didn't wash sick people it was so embedded they would laugh at you if you suggested otherwise we can shift we've radically shifted many many times 
Mm-hmm. And I think to to believe otherwise is that yeah. you can't is just insane. It's like, well, no, pick up a history book and look like what mm-hmm. overarching cultural norms were, you know, even a hundred years ago. It's like there was rapid shifts all the time. It's just we're bad at recognizing them happening. Or yeah. Once it's happened, you're like, well, whatever. It's always been this way. <laughs> <laughs> well, read any of those signs in the Home Deco shops. Like The only thing that doesn't change is uh, everything changes. Also, live, laugh, love. Yeah. I think on that note, we will end this uh, political ramblings uh, on a boat with a dog. uh, With live, laugh, love. Jack, can you do me a favor and uh, ring us the ship's bell out? Thank you.